everyone, this is Sara Zarbi and you're listening to It Was Worth It, Mistahle, a podcast about entrepreneurship in the Middle East. On today's episode, we have Stavros Antipas, the founder of Tawahadna. Tawahadna is a storytelling production house. They focus on documenting female artists from the Middle East. It's a women's empowerment platform. On today's episode, Stavros and I discuss what it's like getting funded by an accelerator, Besharga. How do you make money as an artist in the Middle East? And what does feminism look like in the Arab world? So the first thing I want to know is uh, who is Stavros? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, who is Stavros? That's a great way to start, I guess, if you want to <laughs> confuse me. <laughs> I am a, I'm a self-titled creative activist in the Middle East, <laughs> as Meal World proclaims. Self-titled? Uh, no one ever said I was a creative activist. I just decided I, ha- I am. I'm, I'm someone that wants to see change. And so I use creativity to enforce it. <laughs> um, but yeah. And you're the founder of Tawahadna. Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> on the weekends. Only on the, the weekends. weekends. <laughs> when we have money, I'm the founder of Tawahadna. When I don't have money, I'm... Uh... <laughs> but no, for real, on the... I think the best way to say it, I'm a creative activist, founder of Tawahadna. And I write and direct the episodes for Tawahadna as well. And so, yeah. And so, where did you grow up? Where have you been most of your life? Born and raised in Abu Dhabi. Abu Dhabi kid. Abu Dhabi. Yeah. <laughs> and it's pretty crazy because my parents are both mixed. So, my father is Greek-Syrian and my mom is Armenian-Assyrian from Urfa. And so, we've always been... But you never lived in Syria. No. But I but I go every summer. So Okay. Although I'm Greek, and my name is very Greek, I always say that I'm a, I'm a European that grew up in, a, in an Arabic home. So my you, upbringing has been more Middle Eastern than most Middle Easterns, probably. <laughs> so, which why, is great. Why would you say that? What, what like, makes uh, an upbringing Middle Eastern, like, in your opinion? Kusa mahshi, every type of kibbe, every day. Luchie and... Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> I actually made Kusa last week and you're I right. saw, I saw. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's the thing. So when I studied architecture in the UK for however many years, like it was like two years, I made Kusa while I was there. And this is something that really you feel like... I'm no so proud of that. <laughs> <laughs> to, to know how to remove Kusa from the Kusa, an oral Kusa, is a talent on its own. It's a talent Yeah, exactly. And the fact that they that when I was in the UK, they had no idea why anyone would remove the insides of a courgette to stuff it. They call it courgette. It's courgette, yeah. Okay. Actually, yeah, because they call it courgette. I thought it was zucchini. Zucchini is American. Courgette is British. I'm learning so much on this episode. But I don't know. Don't take my word for it. I'm I'm presuming. I think so. Yeah. (laughs) So I just, I'm just curious. So you, you say you grew up in an Arab household um, and your father is Greek Syrian. Yeah. And you used to go to Syria in the summer. Yeah. But you never lived there. No. All right. But you're, what, did your parents grow up? In Halab, Aleppo. Aleppo, okay. So a lot of the, the things you ad- identify culturally are probably from Halab. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. <laughs> Most of my life is Syrian. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I definitely identify with being Syrian more than any of my nationalities, other nationalities. Um, and growing up, did you used to visit Greece or Armenia? No, so that's the thing. My family's so mixed, but my father, my father's family was deported from Turkey in the 60s. And because my grandmother's Syrian, they moved to Syria. And uh, my mother's family, historically speaking, the Armenians migrated to Syria. And so my parents both grew up eventually calling themselves Syrian. 
So today, if you ask my father where he's from, he'll say he's Greek. But he's more Syrian than most of my Syrian friends. Like, he's so Syrian. There's no, there's no running away from Syria in our, in our culture and history. Like, growing up, I, every summer, like, it was a program. We knew what we were doing because I was in the Junior Olympic team in Halab for swimming. And so was my sister. But we had so many other activities. We joined the basketball team. Then we joined the tennis club. And so we were part of their national sports teams, although we lived in Oblobi. So we are so connected. <laughs> and people knew us uh, on, the, on the go. Like it wasn't, we weren't outsiders, that's for sure. Although my name is Stavros Andipas and I live in Dhabi. Every time I go to Syria, it wasn't weird. Oops, Austin Stavros. Yeah, he's here for the summer. It's regular. <laughs> I'm, I'm also curious, uh, was there like a big art scene in Halab when you used to mm. visit? Is this where like you got interested? Because you mentioned you studied architecture and now Hadna is all about uh, storytelling and different mediums of art. So. Absolutely. I mean, yes. Uh, I think subconsciously, creativity has always been in my life. And I, I can now look back at it and say, yes, my cousin is an artist and she's so talented. Like she's insanely talented. Like if she's the type that if you're like, please, I'd like the Mona Lisa in my house. She'll recreate it, paint it, frame it and send it over. And but she's she in was, Halab. Yeah. No, she's in Latakia now. Okay. She got married and moved to Latakia. Okay. Her mother's so talented. Her mother... Um, in 2005 decided to open her own little shop uh, called Bontel back then and it was a uh, it was a fabric store but she also did interior design and her daughter would collaborate with her by doing paintings on canvas that then they would stitch on pillowcases and so you'd have customized pillowcases with beautiful paintings and then my mom wanted a singer i guess because she was a singer and so i she always encouraged me to sing like my voice was bad it was awful um but she always encouraged it in me like she's always like yeah sing go perform go dance i played the piano for 11 years classically trained in Abu Dhabi. wow uh, so it's always been a part of your life yeah yeah it's always been there in the background or even in the forefront with Exactly. With the piano and with the singing. I, was, I could definitely say I was designed to be an artist. That's for sure. But the issue is my parents didn't know how to monetize it. You know? That's, I think that's why the birth of Tawahana even happened was I was born to become an artist. My parents supported it so much, but because they didn't realize that it could become a full-time career, they thought I w they were just fulfilling these hobbies, side hobbies. And I actually know they're not hobbies. <laughs> this is me. <laughs> So it's wild. Then, where did, where did you go to school? So where, where did you decide to study? Or how did you decide? Where? Further education, after high school. After high school. My education has been a joke for a while. I was in 11th grade, grade 11. And I applied for a scholarship online to a university. Pratt Institute, New York. Why? I don't know. I applied for a film... Pratt Institute is this really well-known institute <laughs> yes. for, what is it, for architecture, art, Creative, everything? Creativity, something, something. I don't know. I was, I was really young. How old was I? I was probably 15, 16. So it was before graduating high school. It was grade 11. Yeah, but you were dreaming big even back then. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I was dreaming You were big aiming for life. the best of the best. <laughs> like, you want to go to New York? I was Hannah Montana for most of my life. This is, <laughs> I genuinely believe. <laughs> that there was a there was a camera. Have you have you seen the Truman Show? No. <laughs> With um, what's his name? The Sa'il actor, Jim Carrey. Oh, it's with Jim Carrey. Okay, no, okay, I so haven't seen the show, but I know Jim Carrey. So Truman Show was a movie about a baby that was brought up in a fake world, and they documented it, but it was a reality TV show for the real world. So there were cameras everywhere, but the story was about Truman, about him. And so the camera records everything. Are, Zero you, privacy. are you Truman? So my whole life, I believed I was <laughs> living the Truman show. 
without, I didn't even watch the Truman Show then, but I genuinely believe, where are there cameras? Am I performing? And so my whole life has been a performance. <laughs> That's very interesting. Yeah. And Hannah Montana lives a double life. So you're, you're, you're That's me. living a double life yeah. with... Myself. <laughs> <laughs> you're living a double life and there's cameras. Yeah. I'm living a double life for myself. And the, the, the persona was, I believed then that, yeah, I, I had a reality TV show. And I was so, I was interesting enough to have a reality TV show. And everyone else was watching my trauma and childhood. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, let's let's go back to let's go back to Pratt Institute. So you applied to the scholarship. Oh yeah, so I applied, then I got it. You got the scholarship. I got it. It was like twenty five. I, I, I just want to repeat this for the recording. So you got. I got it. I got an email on my stupid uh, at Hotmail back then on my MSN whatever I was using. I don't know how. It was it an email that said congratulations. We'd love to uh, have you part of our family team. I don't know. I don't, I don't recall this email. It's an old email, so I don't even have that. And I remember going to my mom and telling her I got a scholarship for film in New York. And my mom was like, I thought it was a joke. I showed her the email. And then she went into her room and she was crying. <laughs> Tears of joy or? No. <laughs> Tears of sadness. And I'm like, what's wrong? And she's like, <laughs> In my mom, my mom thought if you studied film, it meant you were automatically Hollywood and uh, you were you made it a drug dealer. Yeah, yeah. you made I, it. You made it. I made yes. And you, you were leaving mom. her, and but are you, you were the only to, child? No, I'm the middle. Okay. But to my mother, if I were to study film, it meant I am already in Hollywood. I uh, I've become a party animal and I'm a rock star. She. That's how she studied the process of me becoming, uh, going into film school. So the end result for my mother, did you film go, school meant. <laughs> did you end up going to Pratt? No, 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 no. You didn't end up going. No, 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 no. We put aside the email for my mom's tears to dry. But this was your dream. I mean. It's so crazy to call it a dream when you're 16 because it's almost like we were designed not to know or identify what dreams are when we're younger. I think that's so important, especially in the Middle East. We're always taught, But actually what happens in your childhood is, yeah. is so important and it, it, will, it will show you so much about your adult life. Yeah. And what you are interested in as an adult is actually shaped so much by Absolutely. what you were dreaming of as a, as a, as a child. And that's mm. why now there's like inner child therapy. Oh my gosh. And you, <laughs> and you look back and super interesting topic. I think my biggest heartbreak was my halo. So my mom's brothers, he's, he was seen as the artist of our family. All right. And I identified a lot with him. He wanted to do so much, and he was in theater, and he had a restaurant, and I, I don't know what. And uh, when I was applying for universities, I got into architecture school in the UK. But I wanted to get into film school. And he, he told me, his, his questions were so silly. He's like, do you know who Quentin Tarantino is? Do you know who uh, Steven Spielberg is? Do you know who these people are? You don't. See, you can't be in film. Because if you're passionate, then you would know who these people are. And in my head, I'm like, is he right? Do I not know these people because I'm not actually passionate? I'm confused. And that was my moment of ultimate heartbreak was, they're right. I don't know anything about movies. I can't be in the film industry. It'd be so silly if, if my uncle is talking to me like this and I can't answer. What if I'm talking to someone that actually knows so much or could have given me an opportunity but I couldn't answer because I was clueless. And so I always look back at that moment of the person I looked up to most in my heart and my in every way actually put me down the most because he, now I understand, he didn't get the opportunity to become a creative full-time. Now looking at his life, 
I'm heartbroken for him that he couldn't have chased his creative pursuit sooner. And I'm lucky that I got to do it now. And now do you disagree with what he told you? 100%. You don't need to know every actor, every director, every dancer, every, I don't know what. And you don't need to know the, the films that are being made in Hollywood. No. You don't need to know American... <laughs> no, not at all. You don't need to know anything about anything to be passionate about it. You can have an interest in something, great. But I know, I knew my whole life I wanted to make movies. But it wasn't because like I watched a lot of films I wanted to make movies. It was genuinely, I wanted to create. My whole, like growing up, I just saw so much in my head and I was like, I want to do this, I want to do that. This would look great here, this would look great here. They should shoot like this. And it wasn't like things that existed, it was just all in my head. So yeah, it's pretty wild. So you applied to architecture school in the UK. And I got in somehow. I don't know how. <laughs> Did you end up going? Of course. It dried up my mom's tears to, for me to go to architecture school. It reassured my parents uh, that I was pursuing a stable career. And it's not that I didn't love architecture. It's... لأنه الهندسة إشي طعم خبز. آه طبعاً. آه. في فلوس. في فلوس بالموضوع. I was talking about this yesterday with a friend, and it's uh, as Arab we identify um, our milestones based on financial success. And if you look at it, it starts off as you graduate university, you get a job. That's your first milestone is getting a job. That milestone is correlated with you securing and, and being able to stabilize your lifestyle as an individual. Your second milestone is to date someone and then make enough money to marry them. Your third milestone is securing a lifestyle for you and your partner. Your fourth milestone is securing enough money to have a child. And it goes on. And, that's the, and, and then you die. That, that, but that's the thing. That's, that's how we live. It's genuinely... Financial milestones. But don't you think this is a result of the hyper-capitalistic system we live in? I mean, it's no doubt. I mean, it's, it's definitely no doubt that plays a massive role. But I think it's definitely the struggle that our parents pursued back then. And the lifestyles that we lived back then. I mean, it's culture and tradition at the end of the day. Culturally, women were not in the Middle East, pursuing careers. They studied, some did went to university, but they didn't study to go to, to get a career or a job. They studied to be al-bintil tifham. So I read online that while you were actually at, um, at university, this is where you started getting the idea for tawahadna. Second degree. This is after architecture school. Okay, so you go to the UK. Yeah. You finish your degree. No. <laughs> you didn't finish your degree. No, I within my second year of university, I dropped out of architecture school. I was still in the UK and I couldn't tell my family because I was, I was so afraid. And I found a jazz bar nearby the house and I played piano and sang in a jazz bar for five months waiting for the year to end. So I could pack all my stuff and come back to Abu Dhabi for a summer holiday. Did but, you drop out of school before or after the jazz bar? Um, no, the thing is I was playing and singing for fun. And then I needed to sustain and I needed to find something that gave me purpose on being there without studying architecture. Why did you, why did you want to drop out in the first place? It wasn't for me. Um, I think that this comes down to a lot of who I am as a person. I, I played piano for so long, classically trained, but I never got my Trinity exams done. I never got my degrees with piano, and I don't want to teach it, because I, when I was growing up, I knew exactly how much I wanted to do, and I knew exactly why I was doing it, and I pursued that purpose, and as soon as I got there, I stopped. I know how to design, and I've, done, I've been designing. So I pursued what I wanted to learn with architecture, but I stopped because I didn't see the value of me 
chasing that career. I knew I wasn't going to do it full time. How, how, how did you break the news to your parents that after spending, how long was it? A year, two years? Two years. Two years studying something <laughs> that this isn't for me. Yeah. I mean, first of all, it must have been really difficult for you to come to terms with that as, as yourself and as a person, let alone letting everybody else know. Um, I think my biggest fear is disappointing my parents. That's my... I never want to disappoint my parents. And so a lot of my education was please them, please them, please them, please them, please them. And then with architecture, I got to a point where I couldn't, as 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 broken for a lot of that period. Uh, I couldn't tell them. I was so afraid of breaking my mom's heart father's heart I didn't want to I didn't want it to be part of our relationship so that's why I postponed saying anything and played the piano in a jazz bar and sang for five months waiting for the summer because that meant I could pack my stuff and go back home and see them in person and tell them and it, it gave me a period where I could think on my own before telling them the truth does that make sense where do you think, uh, you said that your biggest fear is disappointing them. Where do you think this comes from? Is it, is it related to our culture? A hundred percent. As Arab? Yeah. Our families, our parents love us in undeniable ways, but we're so attached to each other. That's why we don't leave the house until we're... One Mary. million percent, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it depends on what, where you're from, but there is, either you have a job that can secure you really well, or you're married. That's the only time you leave the house. And it's not, a, it's not even a question of, can I stay longer? The longer you stay, the more, the better for your mommy, Annie. <laughs> it's they don't not want you to go. No, they, they don't. don't. Yeah. We're attached. When you, you came back to Abu Dhabi, and you finally broke the news to the family. I'm sure that was super hard. Yeah. What did you do then? What happened then? I like mean, we had our fights, but the conversation was, I want to get into, I want to do film. And this is, this is how the Tawahadna conversation started. So it's a, per, it's a good transition. Okay. But then you, you went and you studied something else, or did you just start Tawahadna? No. So I studied film. The regulation for my parents was, if you want to study film, you have to stay in the country. So I studied film in Dubai because there's, I guess I, I completely understand why there's a lack of trust. You know, I dropped out of school and, and didn't tell them for five months. I was playing piano in a jazz bar. So the lack of trust is understandable. Um, and they're like, if you want to study film, then you have to stay in the country. So I said, yeah, sure, let's do it. I mean, if this is what I, this is what it takes, then I'll stay here. A lot of people do it anyway. And at first I thought it was going to be difficult. And it, it wasn't not difficult. It was... It just wasn't the university life that you'd expect for yourself as someone that, goes, that, wants, that attended university abroad already, you know? It was... You can only study film if you stay in the country. So I went to SA Institute in, in Dubai. So your parents sit you down and they tell you, okay, you want to be a filmmaker... You have to stay in the UAE. Mm. <laughs> like, it's in Dubai, صح? Yeah. Okay. You have all eyes on you. And you're like, okay, fine. Let's do this. Let's do this. 2015. 2015. Yeah. Uh, so I started with film. And it's going well. Whatever it's... Uh, it was a great experience is what it is yeah it's an educational period and then i figured out that my passion was documentaries i realized in film i really wanted to become a documentary filmmaker like that's that's my calling um hey. all right uh so when it comes down to your 
final year in film school, they ask you to do a final major project, which is typically a passion project, so you can pursue whatever you want, whatever you want, whether it's going to be a five-minute commercial to a one-minute short film to whatever it is, you can pursue it. And so mine was, I knew I was going to do a documentary, and we're looking for topics. My best friend James was with my, with, like we worked together on everything, and he wanted to do something about surfing because his passion is surfing. And he came up with a story that we had to shoot in Oman, but unfortunately, like within the time frame that we had, there was no way we could do, we could get it done. Um, so I met uh, Maryam Zahabi through a friend, and then I saw her Instagram, which is Fix the Sky, and something that drew me towards Maryam's work is that it looks like it's pop art at the end of the day, like it looks super poppy, very comical almost, but she had this feminist underlying conversation within every image that she drew. I'm like, cool, there's something here. Like, there's, there's depth to this drawing. It's not just a photo of a girl. There's something that she's trying to communicate. So, Maryam is the... She's a filmmaker? Maryam Zabi is a, an artist. She's a digital artist and a painter. But she's also an architect and an urban designer. And would you say that when you saw her work, somehow she inspired you, or did no. she just... Maryam didn't inspire me at first, actually. Uh, I went to shoot a test shoot at Comic-Con, because she had a booth. And she had like a massive fan base, like everyone wanted to buy and have a part of Maryam's work. What I was mostly inspired by was her story as an individual. Her art actually played out the best role <laughs> Tawahadna could have asked for as the first art artist to be with us. Which is that she's a feminist. Exactly. She's an Arab. Yeah, yeah I guess. She identified the Tawahadna purpose when Tawahadna became a thing. But Maryam's story as an individual is what gave Tawahadna its purpose. It's the, the female Arab that wants to be a full-time artist that can't do it, so she became an architect for her family to secure a job. And I was like, oh, wow, you're me? Thanks. She's the female version of Stavros. So basically, yeah, but that's the thing. I, I joke about it, but Maryam... Hannah Montana. Basically. And so she wanted to please her family, and she did. And... Luckily, Maryam is, is a person that loves architecture, and she loved it so much that she, went, she did her master's in, in urban planning. Um, I saw a lot of me, myself, and my story in Maryam's story. She could have easily become a full-time artist. She had her success as, a, as an artist and as an architect. But she picked the path for her as an architect, and she decided to, to continue pursuing her own her paintings and, and that lifestyle as a side gig. Yang. She doesn't need it, not at all. <laughs> so you see Maryam's work, I think, online. Yeah. You see her work online. Yeah. And somehow she embodies the values or the idea of what you are trying to be or what you could be. At this yeah. point, Tawahada doesn't even exist. No. At this point, you are I've, doing your passion project. About an artist named Maryam Azabi. With your, your best friend. James Harvey. James Harvey. Okay. <laughs> I'm just trying to yeah. understand the, the setting. So, and we are going to shoot a documentary about an artist named Maryam. Um, we have something called CIU class in SAE. And, and CIU is basically build a business concept and pitch it. And the business concept I came up with was Tawahadna. A, and it started off as Tawahadna, a women's empowerment organization that films documentaries on female artists from the Middle East. And we shifted a lot now because we're not an organization, we're a company. And we're a production house. We're a storytelling production house. Um, we support you 
100%, but we're not a support group. <laughs> Do you know the difference? <laughs> like we're not, not validating people's insecurities. <laughs> that's a, no. So that's the thing. We uh, we'll support you as an individual, and we'll push forward for your art, but we're not a, a free support group system. Like we're not an organization. We can't validate that. We're not a fundraiser. It's not legal here for me to register to have as a fundraiser. It has to be governmental. Okay, so. <laughs> So you, you do the pet project, and I, I assume... The concept of building a business is Tawahadna. Maryam is a passion project. And somehow Maryam fits into the passion... In, as a passion project, fits into the CIU unit that we're designing. We had to design a logo, you had to give it a name, and I call it Tawahadna. Why is it Tawahadna? Because I'm a man that supports women. I don't want to show that... Feminists don't need to fit in a category of being female. I could be a man that does it. And that's how I identified why I was doing Tawahadna. Then Maryam identified underneath the umbrella of Tawahadna. And so I decided to call my passion project Tawahadna. So what was the point where you were like, I want to do this. Like, this is... Tawahadna? I want to do it, like, full-time. This is it. Um... I was sitting, actually I was standing, <laughs> and we hosted a private screening for Tawahadna. And two private screenings. And the question that repeated uh, was, why, when is, when is episode two coming out? I'm like, oh, <laughs> excuse me. <laughs> what do you mean? Like, yeah, isn't this an ongoing project? We want to see more. I'm like, excuse me. They're like, yeah, yeah, the first one was great. We want more art. This is... And in my head, I'm like, uh, this is a... I didn't plan for more. I planned... I conceptualized the second episode for university, but I never actually came around to shooting anything. I'm like, okay, maybe we'll try. And that's when I met Yara, interviewed her, shot, designed the trailer, put it out, and I'm like, oof, this is getting a lot of traction. The, the, the name of Tohanna is becoming bigger than I can chew on. Like, this is not what I thought I was doing. So you, you, you help, you, um, did you produce the first film? Or did you help someone else produce it? Like who? Episode one? Yes. I wrote, directed, James shot. Uh, Carl shot with his drone. Comfort was our producer. Homa was our graphic designer. So the first episode, you basically helped uh, write and direct, and then you had your team, and suddenly people liked it. <laughs> yeah. They just liked it. For some it. reason, yeah. People <laughs> liked I think they acknowledged that there was a lack of something. Um, I, got a, I met a girl at, in the audience that, that wanted to talk to me aside, and she's like, I'd love if we brought you to uh, Oman. I'm like, guys, I, I don't know what I'm doing here. And this I is organic growth. Yeah, yeah. You didn't market yourself, nothing. No. You had your first screening. That had 50 seats. And so we, I, I put down 50 RSVP letters. So I put 50 seats in the art gallery. 250 people showed up that night. So. Where did they sit? Um, we, they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> so what we decided to do is we'll host two private screenings back to back. So people could rotate. And what we did is, I, it's 15 minutes. So I told them, if you want to be part of it, and you don't mind standing, you can stand in the back. And people did that. So what does feminism mean to you? <laughs> it's my favorite word. <laughs> um, what does feminism mean to Tawahadna? I mean, it means everything to Tawahadna. The conversation that you should be having is what is feminism, firstly? What does it mean to be a feminist? Um, in the Middle East. Thank you. That's, that's another conversation. Because feminism, as, as, as a general definition, is the support of women for equal rights. But our rights are different in every part. In, in America, they're different. Here, they're different. Uh, Indonesia, they're different. Australia, they're different. The conversation so, here is very different than anywhere else in the mm, world. The, the rights that women are fighting for here are unique to this region. Exactly. That's exactly what we're talking about as we don't want but yeah the, the question isn't what is feminism to me it's what is as you said the, 
the feminist movement is identified by the culture it lives in. We are currently fighting for a different purpose that's super unique to us. But something people don't understand, feminism, although it sounds like female, it doesn't just mean the fight for women, it's fighting for equal rights for men as well. <laughs> and so feminism is leveling up the playground for boys and girls to uh, play in the same space. That's it. So we, in the same way that maybe women don't have what we would call basic rights here in the Middle East, like just recently Saudi, you know, gave women the right to drive. Mm. Maybe men don't have the same freedom to be creative or to express themselves. Surely. Absolutely. And this I brings me to my point, uh, to my next question, which is, so Tawahadna seems to be a very feminist organization, but why is it? Why, why is feminism so vital to Tawahadna? I guess it comes down to the name of what Tawahadna is. Um, Tawahadna is a verb in Arabic that means we have united, so it's plural. But in singular form, Tawahadna loses its haraka that defines its gender. In singular form, sorry, I'm going to repeat. What, so why is Stavros a feminist? Um, Stavis is a feminist because he wanted to be a creative and his family believed that creativity wasn't identified as masculinity. I'm a creative because my sister was, was not given the same format of freedom in her actions that I did and I had. We grew up in the same house but we grew up with different rules. Why? <laughs> were children to, our, to the same parents, but we grew up with different responsibilities and different expectations. Why? That's why I'm a feminist. I don't want to have to think that because I am a boy, I have to be doing this. Because I am a girl, I have to be doing this. Do you think uh, businesses like yours are the way that feminism will will gain traction or will get to where it needs to be? Mm. I don't think so, actually. I think I uh, my demographic is, is already a feminist demographic, whether it's subconscious or not. We believe in equality. Our generation is, is already a very feminist generation. The fact that you're here is considered a feminist active movement because you're running your own podcast chasing something that's considered your passion project you sustain your own life as a woman on your own <laughs> 10 years ago this wouldn't have been like expected of you people would be shocked now it's norm but I don't think it's movements like ourselves like Tawahadna that will create the change I think it's when businesses that are traditional in its format or governmental in its format like Adnoc for example if they shift to feminist active movements or or do something in that way yeah that will be changed <laughs> I already have attracted who I want for Tawahadna my family my Tawahadna family will always have my back on, on this topic because that's what we fight for but that's why they've joined. The hope on the long run, I think, if we're lucky, is Tawahanna becomes an educational platform on how creativity is an equal space for boys and girls to try and play. But I don't think it's worth the change. <laughs> yeah, I mean, with all, with all honesty, I want to be a change maker. And I think I'm changing something else, but not the movement of feminism. Let's take a step back. Financially, you had your first uh, screening and you featured Maryam. Mm. At this point... Who I financed Maryam? Mama and Baba. <laughs> <laughs> the bank of Mama yeah, and Baba. <laughs> yeah. Mama and Baba financed uh, Maryam Zahabi's... We did do a couple of concept fundraisers for it. Like We printed our photos, we framed them, and we sold photographs to fund the film. But that was like a university little support concept 
but it didn't like. What but about the second episode? Same thing? No. I funded it myself. <laughs> I worked in an art gallery and I'd save money and then I'd go back and I'd shoot. <laughs> I'd save money. And I'd each film costs around in the beginning phases like in the beginning in the phases beginning, yeah. it's it was such a diy project i mean it was always been collaborative concept um to produce one film was it like a thousand five thousand no 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 at first when it was a diy stage it was eleven thousand drums approximately eleven thousand drums to produce one episode from start to finish um and you were working at this gallery, you would save some money and you'd put yeah. it right back into... Tawahadna. Tawahadna. Episode 2, yeah. Episode 2. I think it's really important uh, to talk about the... the Shira program. The, the finances, because specifically your your business or your organization yeah. is about art and it's, it's really well known that it's really hard to make it as an artist and then sustain your lifestyle yeah. and live in Dubai where a cup of coffee is like 30, 30 dirhams. Yeah, 17 dirhams for water. <laughs> no, but my life is different. I think I was working as an architect. I designed Levi's for Soul DXP. I was set designing. I set designed Puma. I uh, was shooting. I shot for a year's worth of content for Clean and Clear within three days. So I hustled so hard to identify as an artist myself and financially stabilize my situation in Dubai as an individual. Tawahadna came secondhand, but Tawahadna has always been part of my conversation. Hi, how are you? My name is Davis. Oh, yeah, I run a women's empowerment organization called Tawahadna. Oh, cool. Why? It's because this is this. Oh, what do you guys do? We shoot documentaries. Sweet. It was always there in the in the in the background of your yeah. mind, and you wanted to put it out yeah. there, but you just didn't know whether financially you could throw everything you had at at it, right? Absolutely. Because um, you have to sustain yourself, and you can't just be a community. This is what people don't understand. If you want to support a creative, you can't just expect them to go to a community group show and become BFFs with other artists, and that's enough. We need to monetize. We need to value our creatives and figure out how to make money out of this. And so the way with Tawahadna was, I understood and learned what licensing was as a filmmaker. I went and I, I worked with OSN. And that period at OSN, I was working with Asli, which was a department that licensed indie filmmakers. And to license a film meant that um, a platform buys or, or rents, rents in quotation marks, your content for a certain period of time, for a certain amount of money. Like Netflix. And so, I had to learn what licensing and distribution was. Once I figured that out, I understood how I was going to monetize to a hadna, was through the episodes. How do I now build a community by one film? Okay, we're lucky. We have social media. Let's start just sharing other artists' work and become recognized as a platform on social media that introduces artists to, uh, to the public. Okay, let's take a step back. So <laughs> That's your favorite sentence with me today. Is, yeah. <laughs> let's take a step back. You're moving too fast. Um, I love that you're going into like how to actually uh, help the artists monetize their work. But yeah. I want to understand more from Tawahadna perspective. Um, the first two films were from your from Mama and Baba bank account. Yeah. And then you were hustling on the side, making money doing different types of art projects. Yeah. You said you said you worked for Clean and Clear, and as a as a freelancer. As a freelancer, a lot of different yeah. freelance work and and within is, the same year, I was a shooting, building, shooting, building, shooting, building. I got to OSN. I started managing these massive events. I talked about. I got into somehow the, the sustainability within the fashion industry. And then I got into, I hosted the first ever panel talk about what it means to be a plus size individual within the Middle East. And so. This is all 2017? 2018. 2018. 2000, yeah. 17, 18. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> within two years, basically. 
I started, I got into events. I got into, uh, back into my architectural degree where I was designing niche projects and pop-ups. And I was starting to do more commercial work for film. But at this point, you're still trying just to fund Stavros. Yeah. You're not trying to fund Tawahadna. No. When were you like, I need to fund Tawahadna? I designed a, uh, my friend Maria Maskar and I designed a concept of a business plan of what Tawahadna is and how we were going to move forward. With all this, these experiences that I've taken from OSN, Collective, Dukkan, uh, wherever I worked, I was taking experiences and I was learning from other filmmakers. So I built a concept business plan and I sent it to my friend Emel. And Emel sent it to someone named Sally. Sally works at Shira. Shira is a super cool um, program for Sharjah Entrepreneurship Center. Basically. And I. Uh, they and Sally messaged me back saying, you have to come pitch. I think this has potential. And in my head, I'm like, ah, I've been working on Tawahadam for so long. No one said I had potential. <laughs> you know, this isn't... This was like an aha moment. It wasn't an aha moment like, haha, I'm going to make money. It was, aha, you're joking, right? I don't believe. I didn't believe because I... Tawahadam uh, wasn't getting picked up at all. It was sidelined by me as well. So... This was just me putting side, side efforts of trying to see, are people interested? Are they not? Is this in, going within the right direction? Is it not? Um, Sally told me to come in to pitch. So I come and pitch. And you were like, you're, you're joking, right? Like you guys are actually interested? Yeah, because I'm 24. And the word entrepreneur, I think, this is where it's a joke. The word entrepreneur is played it's very loaded. Oh my god. But in Dubai, Everyone's, everyone's an entrepreneur. entrepreneur. <laughs> Everyone. Everyone's an entrepreneur. And so when someone called and told me, yeah, you, you're an entrepreneur, I'm like, nah. I don't know, no, actually. No, I'm not. That's la, a thing. La. I'm an artist, please. Don't give me this title. But that's the thing. It's, it's like, okay, being an entrepreneur is fantastic outside. I was talking to my friend Chantal about this. Being an entrepreneur outside is great. But as soon as you get to Dubai and you say you're an entrepreneur, it's a turkey sandwich. Everyone else is doing it. Everyone else has it. It's like saying you're a vegetarian now. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a vegetarian. You know? Everyone's an entrepreneur in Dubai. It's seriously, though. And so they milked it. With all honesty, they, they milked it so much that when Sally told me, come pitch for an entrepreneurial grant, and I was like, excuse me, I'm not pitching for entrepreneurial grant. I was pitching for a grant. To, yeah, to shoot yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was a film grant. In my head, I wanted a film grant. And uh, Sally was like, but this is a business grant, and you have a business plan. Did you have a business plan? I had a business plan, but my business plan was purely how to... How to monetize the films. The films, yes. exactly. How to help the women monetize their films. No, how to, how to help me monetize the films. You as well. As a film director. As a director. As a director. Not as but as Tawahadna as a company. Yes. I never considered Tawahadna a company. Okay. I considered Tawahadna a concept. I don't know how to put it in words, but it was an umbrella for artists to come and shoot a documentary with us. And then what I wanted to do was license our documentaries on Netflix. What I want to know is, okay, how did you convince Shira to give you money? I didn't. I didn't convince them. How much money did Shira give you? $10,000. Okay, so. Was that, was that a lot of money for you? It was a lot of money because it was a lot of money trusted for... A 24-year-old. A 25-year-old then. To invest into their own idea. Someone was giving me money to invest into an idea. Tawahadna's not registered. It's registered now, but it wasn't registered before. So Tawahadna has always been a concept. Tawahadna the concept. Let's call it concept. I got to Shira. The program is fantastic. They basically 
you're supposed, you're supposed to go in once or twice a week and work on this program on how to build a business. And once and the business that you're building is the concept that you pitch. And once you're done with pitching, at the very end, based on how well you pitch, they grant you money. The final maximum amount is $10,000. Does the money have any strings attached? Um, with Shira, put the, their logo on your website. Or I can share that information. But no, no strings attached. They are not, they don't take equity. Nothing, nothing, nothing. And so at first when I got the, this is what happened. This is a funny moment. So I, I send my, I go in, meet Sally, cool. I talk to her in person. She's like, this is a great idea. I think you could do well with us. And until now, I'm not believing anyone because I've been pitching to Hadna with whomever. I, I went to Dubai Cares. I pitched so many times. So Sally's like... And it didn't work out at OSN. It didn't work out with Dubai Cares. It didn't work out Abu Dhabi TV. Like, there's so many ideas. That, uh, there's so many things that happened until Shira. And Sally's like, no, you could do this. And you're like, no... No, I, I didn't say no. I was like, cool, let's try. You had your expectations set low. Yeah, very low. So I'm not a very lucky person. I've never won anything. Like, this is not... I'm, I'm, a, I'm, actually, a, I'm a very lucky person, so yeah. maybe this podcast will bring you Hopefully. something. But I'll tell you what. No, no. I'm going to take back what I said. Shira was not luck. It was hard work. 100%. I, was, I moved to Saudi in January. I get an email from the Shira team, and they're like, we'd like you to come in for a pitch. When? February 14, I believe. I don't remember. February something. January, February. Yeah. Excuse me? I live in Saudi now. They're like, oh, do you have to submit a video pitch first? Cool. So I did a video pitch. Five minutes long, three minutes long. Sent it over. Great. We're going to... We'd like you to come in for another pitch. I'm like, I'm in Saudi. Like, come try... Uh, uh, we need you for a day. I'm like, can I do this online? They're like, no. I book my ticket, one day, fly to Sharjah, pitch, fly back to Saudi. Did you pitch in front of a big group of people or just... There were three um, uh, panel judges and then Sally and Hisham. I walk in, I do my thing, thank you so much. I walk out. I don't think anything of it. I'm like, whatever. The next day, I'm in uh, Dubai airport, and I'm waiting for my flight. And I, they're like, can you please send us your pitch that you prepared? I'm like, yeah, sure. So I sent them the tech, whatever. I was about to get on my flight, and I get an email saying, congratulations, you've been selected for the seed program for Shira. I'm oh, like, my God. <laughs> <yeah>. No way. <laughs> the I'm same like, day? I'm, while, when I was sending the pitch. The, not the same day, the next day. The next day. Yeah. The next day, they sent you an email and they're like, you got it. Yeah. Not the money. Not the money. The program. The program. And so the program's an accelerator program to teach you on how to structure and build a business. That's great news. Yeah. I mean, how No, no, it was intense. And, there, and I call Sally when I land in Saudi. And I'm like, Sally, how am I going to do this? I'm like, you want me to be in the country... In, Sharjah once a week at least. And she's like, no, you can try to do it online. We'll do it over Zoom. We'll do this is before Zoom, sorry. <laughs> this is before COVID. This is before COVID. Yeah. She's like, uh, we'll, we'll do it uh, by a phone. We'll do it online. And I'm like, cool, how do we do this? <laughs> what has been the biggest struggle? This is the generic question of the day. Yeah, but uh, I can't put a point on, on it because you brought up so many things that I'm now looking at it. I'm like, wow, everything has been a struggle. <laughs> Whether it's understanding how to distribute and monetize and license films to building a business that makes sense for Tawahadna to monetizing Tawahadna to building a community for Tawahadna, they were all struggles. For Stavros. Probably believing that I could become an entrepreneur. The milk twirl, like the... Imposter syndrome? And yeah. One million percent. I think I never considered myself a business 
oriented individual because I wanted to become a creative so much that I re rejected the idea that I could be an entrepreneur because I was I was pursuing my full-time creative career. That takes us back to my childhood. Being in business meant a stable, financial, happy mommy, happy daddy career. Being a creative meant Stavros was a rebel, but I was pursuing what I wanted. And I think that lived on for me to acknowledge, actually, you know, you can be an entrepreneur <laughs> and a creative. You could be a creative entrepreneur, which is what I am. <laughs> So the biggest struggle was with yourself. Yeah, 100%. Do you think that at this point in time, the struggle is still going on? Or are you comfortable saying that you're in a better place now? I'm definitely in a better place. Like, there's no doubt. Especially with Shira working out. What's wild is when Shira was happening, so we were supposed to do once a week meet online, figure it out, then COVID hit. Then I had to leave Saudi ASAP. So I left and I took the last flight from Saudi to Oman and the last flight from Oman to Dubai. And the program was put on hold for a minute until they figured out how to digitize it. And so I continued doing the program online, which is how I started it. And I, my first initial fear was how am I gonna juggle Saudi and Shira, because okay, well, Shira was for me, but Saudi was was definitely the growth that I got, that I saw myself in Saudi was insane. I was going to learn so much. Okay, wait, here are you talking about... Um, when I first... No, no, uh, is, this, is this something that you went through that was really difficult? Yeah. This struggle between choosing Saudi and Shira? Yeah, because I thought I had to pick between one, this or the other. Because at the program, they're like, they ask you, they, you fill out a form before applying, while applying, Yanni. And uh, the form says, are you a full-time entrepreneur? Is this a part-time pursuit? Do you, will, do you live in the UAE? And these are the questions that they're asking because they want to make sure they're not wasting time supporting a concept or a business idea where the person that runs it is not 100% devoted to it. And so my struggle was I was so fearful that I'd lose this first opportunity of, of trust from someone because I wanted to focus on Saudi when I was there. Because I love Saudi. I love Jeddah. Oh my God, when I was there, I was learning so much by the hour about artists, about myself, about filmmakers. It was a, like there was a, a well of, of information and I wouldn't stop giving me information. Like the more I went deep, the more it gave me information. It was so insane. And so I was afraid I'd lose that if I pursued Shira. But I was so afraid of losing Saudi if I pursued, like, you know? <laughs> so the struggle again was internal. Of course. I think every all struggles are internal, by the way. <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you want to know more about It Was Worth It, you can visit our Instagram page, It Was Worth It Podcast, to learn more. If you want to nominate someone to be on the show, go ahead and send us a message on our Instagram page. We'd love to hear your suggestions.